Isn't it interesting to hear the different conversation about who God is? If ever at any point do we need to hear a message series regarding increase my faith, it's now and in this day and age. We go out from this place and we interact with people who have no idea who God is. Their concepts of God, if they have a concept of God, it's skewed. And so here we are as Christians, we're coming, we say we celebrate and we, we praise a God who exists. And yet sometimes we struggle with even believing that that God can take care of us and help us where we're at. Today, increase my faith. That's where we're finishing today. Matthew chapter 17. You have your Bibles, please turn there. If you do not have your Bibles, we'll be following up in just a few moments. Uh, you'll be able to see that uh, on the screen and we'll be hitting that. Now, over the last few weeks, we've talked about increase my faith and we've talked about it in several different ways. How that one, we need to increase our faith by first of all, just seeing who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Understanding that he is truly the divine. He is God in flesh. When you and I begin to see Jesus for who he is, it automatically increases our faith. Our faith grows when we understand that Jesus is almighty and that he is faithful, that his love will never fail, that he is the God who walks with us and he has the power because he commands even the armies of all the angels in heaven. What an incredible God we serve. Now we continue on. We said last week we talked about increase my faith by moving from little faith. What is little faith? If you remember last week as we talked about it, little faith is when we, we have faith in God, we trust God, but we only trust God and have faith in God for what we already see. So I can trust God and I have faith that God is going to provide for my needs because I already have money in the bank. Well, that's considered little faith. That's not really faith that steps out and says, I don't know how to trust God, but I'm going to trust him even though I don't know how he's going to provide. And what we wanted to do is to move to a faith where we could have faith in God that would be small like the mustard seed. We don't know how God's going to take care of us. We don't know how God's going to answer. But we want the faith that can grow into that large tree where we say, God, we'll trust you and we'll believe in you and we'll take you at your word that you're going to keep your promises even when we have no idea how it's going to work out. That God is able to be trusted and we can have faith in him even when it doesn't make sense to have faith in him. Now today, as we get into this last part, the question becomes, who should we trust? Who should our allegiance be? Should our allegiance be to God, or should our allegiance be to the government? Man, that's pretty good. You guys already, already know the answer, right? You're like, no, there's no way I'm trusting the government. Now, don't worry, this is not going to be a major political message and statement, but we do need to lay out some things. Here's what happens within our faith. It is easy to have faith in things that are tangible and things that we see. Does that make sense? It's easy to have faith in things that are tangible and things that we automatically see. So here's what we live. We live in a day and age where we can see our government, we hear our government. Now, whether you believe that our government has our best interest in mind, then that's a whole other issue. But you do know it, and there's a lot of handouts that are being given out. Again, we're not going to be talking about all those handouts and should we be doing it or not. We're not going to be talking about entitlements. But we live in a day and age when there's a lot of things that are given to us by our government. Protection, care, whether we agree with the political stances of our presidents, whether he aligns with the right countries or whether he doesn't align with the right countries. That's a whole other conversation. But yet, where we stand today is this, is that quite often we have confidence and faith because our economy and our government is strong versus having confidence in who our God is. Does that make sense? 
Because we live in America and we've had a pretty easy time as far as our economy still stays pretty strong, even though we had a dip, we're not living in a third world nation. So it's easy to have faith. But when we start talking about government, do we trust the government or do we trust God? Do we trust religious sects? Do we trust our church? Do we trust the religious organizations? Or do we trust God? That is in the conversation today. So Matthew chapter 17, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter 17, go down to verse 22, and here's what it says. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for your love, your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. As we dive into this moment, I thank you for the the celebration that we're able to just celebrate who you are, your love, your faithfulness, and your, your, your goodness, and how you've blessed us even this past week. We want to say thank you. Thank you for your protection this past week. God, as we got, get into this moment, I'm asking for your Holy Spirit to have freedom. I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that I would be sensitive to what you want me to say, what you don't want me to say. God, I pray that your spirit would work through me. And God, I pray that you'd give us the ears to hear in this place. We need to hear from you. So God, I'm asking that you would show up. And I pray that you'd give us the courage to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' precious, precious name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, so here's what we have. I'm going to show you a few pictures. Um, Remember, Jesus is now just a few months away from the crucifixion. They're coming down from the northern part of Israel. They're coming down to the Sea of Galilee. They get down to the Sea of Galilee. They come into a town called Capernaum. And here's a picture of Capernaum. It's actually, as as you enter Capernaum, it says uh, the the town of Jesus. And really, this is where Peter would would have lived. This is where his in-laws for sure lived. Um, the reason it's called the town of Jesus is because Jesus actually centered his, his ministry out of this area, and so you see a lot of ministry that's happening here. As you go to the next slide, did you show, show the first slide? All right, there it is, Capernaum, the town of Jesus. All right, next slide, please. All right, so there's, there's Peter, and just, this is just right there on the edge. You can actually see the Sea of Galilee, and you'll be able to see um, it's really close to that sea. Next picture, please. All right, these are some of the homes right there in the sea. You can see how close they are. You can kind of see the streets. And then just beyond that, you see the water, all right? So this is where Jesus came into. They came down from the northern part. They traveled about 25 miles, get down to the city, and they come in. And this is where Peter is at. This is Jesus' hub for his ministry. And he's about a um, a few months away from being crucified. Now, here's where we start and pick up. So verse 22. It says, they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, 
and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. Now, here's why this is important. There are many critics who will say that Jesus never understood that he was God. Now, throughout the passages, we have actually come across many times where Jesus proclaimed and demonstrated that he knew he was God and that he was God. Matter of fact, if we went back just to the first part of chapter 17, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration demonstrated, he revealed and pulled back his humanity veil, and he demonstrated that he was 100% truly divine. Jesus now, in the matter of just a couple of weeks, has now for the third time, this is the third statement of Jesus saying, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be killed I will die and I will rise again. Now, this is why it's important. Did Jesus believe he was divine? Yes. Over and over again, he said he was. Did Jesus actually know he was going to be killed? Just, I, I want to point this out. Did you see it in the scripture? What did Jesus tell his disciples? I'm going to Jerusalem and what's going to happen? I'm going to be killed. I'm going to die. Now, this is important because I want you to understand. Jesus knew this was his mission. He knew this was his mission. There was, this was the plan. This was all part of the plan. This was something that was set before all of creation that Jesus would come. He would die on the cross. It did not surprise Jesus when he got to Jerusalem that he would be betrayed. And it did not surprise him that the religious leaders would bring him before Pilate. And it did not surprise him that he ended up getting sentenced to the cross. The crucifixion did not surprise God. Did not surprise Jesus. He knew this was the plan. Now, I'm saying it over and over again because I want you to catch this. Jesus is divine. Jesus knew the plan. And he was still willing to go to Jerusalem to go to the cross for you and I. He was still willing. He was willing to go through the pain to get there. No one was going to change. He was stone, rock solid, determined this was going to happen. Have you ever met somebody determined? When they're really focused, you can't sidetrack them, can you? They say, yes, this is what I'm doing, and no matter what you offer, they're not going to do it. Maybe they say, hey, I'm on a diet, and you try to give them a Coke, and they won't take the Coke. They won't take sweet tea, and you're going, what? No sweet tea? Nope, I'm on a diet. Stone cold, my youngest daughter, she, uh, Hannah, when she was four years old. Now, Hannah is my second daughter, and she is incredibly determined. You have a strong-willed child. She's, she's like strong-willed to the nth degree, all right? So she's highly determined. So she's four years old, and we were at church one Sunday, and, and we had a, at that church, we had a Spanish ministry, and some people were talking to her in Spanish. So she came home, and she said, I'm going to learn Spanish. And so we said, great, go for it, right? I mean, she's four, so we thought it'd wear off. Well, the, the next week, somebody else heard, heard, heard her say that, and so they went, and they bought her a little CD. Now, she's four years old, right? So she's four, and they bought her a CD that had um, counting to ten in Spanish. Then it had the alphabet in Spanish. And so she, she came home with it, and she's like, look, I'm going to learn Spanish, all right? So she's four. She leaves the dinner table. We're finished. She goes into her room. She shuts her door, and for the next two hours, this is a four-year-old, two hours she sits there listening to the CD. She comes out afterwards, and she goes, Dad, I can count to 10 in Spanish. Oh, yeah? Let me hear you. I'm I'm thinking four years old. Yeah, right. She starts uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco. And I'm like, ah, that's awesome. Right? Man, and then then she goes, "I I I can do the alphabet too. And I'm like, yeah, right. There's no way. I'm not even going to try to do the alphabet. I don't know the Spanish alphabet. You thought I was going there. I have no idea what it is. So she did A, B, C, whatever in Spanish. And so she does it. I'm going, that's my daughter. She's a prodigy, right? I mean, this is amazing. 
So we're signing her up for everything. I mean, we're, we're enrolling her in college now. So four years old, she's got it. No problem. Determined. Jesus, there was nothing that was going to sidetrack him. He knew where he was headed. He knew it, and he wanted to tell his disciples, guys, listen, I'm telling you now, in just a few months, I'm going to die. And when I'm going to die, when I die, your faith is going to become shaken because your world's going to fall apart. You're not sure what's going to happen. But he said the next statement, I'm going to die, and then what's he say next? Do you see it? I will rise again on the third day. Now, here's, here's, it's brilliant. Part of the way in which your faith increases and my faith grows is that when we go into that faith crisis, when trouble begins to fall apart, our world begins to crash around us, and it doesn't seem to make sense, we go back to what Jesus said and what he promised because his words will never, help me, we just sang it, right? His words will never fail. And Jesus says, I'm going to help your faith. In the moments when you begin to have your world shaken and you're not sure what's going on and everybody's coming after me and when I'm taken and I'm put on trial, when I'm on the cross, I need you to remember. And what's it say throughout as the disciples begin to give their testimony? This is what he said. And then we remembered when he was on the cross. This is what we remember. And there, afterwards, he said he was going to rise again, but we're not sure how he's going to do it. They're, they're trying to figure it out, but they remembered. Your faith and my faith will grow when we go back to the promises of the word of God because he is faithful over and over again. One of the temptations that we have is when our faith crashes is that we go, you know what? I can't believe God allowed this bad thing to happen. I can't believe I have to deal with this. And what we do is we do a pushback and we say, I, I can't, I'm so frustrated at God. God. That God thing doesn't work. And we even remove ourselves from church. Have you ever met somebody like that? When they remove themselves from church because they're so frustrated because life is not working out the way they planned. I just can't trust God anymore. One of the best things that you can hear right now, over and over again, say this to yourself. When the bad things happen, when my faith crashes, go back to the promises of the word of God. You want to see your faith increase? You want your faith to grow? Go back to the promises because that is where your faith grows. Your faith grows by the hearing of the word of God and seeing it and claiming those promises that God is faithful, that God loves. His love will never fail. And you go back to it and you'll say, God, you're with me. I'm going to claim it right now because you are bigger than this problem that I'm in. So now they get to Capernaum. They're walking around, and it it looks like Jesus is is hanging out at the house. Peter goes out into the streets, and he's walking around. Of course, it's his hometown, so he's like, hey, Joe, hey, Paul. He's just saying hi to everybody. He knows everybody, so he's out walking around the streets, and there's a couple guys that come up to him and says, all right, Jesus, verse 24, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and says, hey, does your teacher pay tax? Now, this was not a kind question. This was a, an insulting question, and it was actually to, to cause a fight. You read it, you see it. Hey, your teacher, is he actually going to pay the tax or not? They're trying to catch Jesus doing something wrong. They're wanting to catch Jesus in a, in a way in which they can say, look, he's false. Look, his teaching doesn't matter. Look, he's discredited because he doesn't pay the tax. Now, here's what's interesting. This tax, this is not a Roman tax. This is not issued by the Roman government. The Jews hated the Romans, and they did not want to pay taxes at all to the Roman government. But this is not a Roman tax. This is a tax that the Romans allowed the Jews to take. 
And they allowed the Jews to take this tax, and it was for the temple. The drachma tax was to be paid by everybody yearly, and everybody had to pay the two drachmas, and all that money would go to the temple to actually in Jerusalem to pay for the upkeep, to pay for the rebuilding, to pay for the, the animals, to help pay for the animals and the feeding of the animals, to pay for the priest, everything that went along. So it went to the temple tax. It was actually a temple tax. And here's the question. Does Jesus actually care about the temple? Does Jesus care about the religious system? They're coming after Jesus. Now, has Jesus spoke anything against the temple? The answer would be yes. He actually said, hey, destroy this temple and I'll build it in three days. So there was already this question. Maybe Jesus doesn't care about the temple. Now, Jesus was actually talking about not the physical temple, but he was talking about his body. But there was this conversation going on. So maybe Jesus, maybe we can catch Jesus against the temple. And if you remember when he's put on trial, this is also one of the conversations they have, and this is one of the accusations they bring up a little bit later. So they're trying to catch him. So here's what happens. They're coming to collect the temple tax. Now watch. Does Jesus actually do it? And immediately Peter answers what? Verse 25. Of course, yes. So Jesus obviously has already paid taxes before in the last few years, and Peter has seen it. So Peter didn't have to go run and ask Jesus. He just simply answered, yes, he does. And then when he comes to the house, so Jesus or Peter answers, then he comes into the house from his stroll. He comes to the house where uh, Jesus is hanging out. And now Jesus and him are going to have a conversation. Let me show you another picture here. Let's see uh, if we can go to the next picture from the one we had. Um, let's see what you got. Pick a picture, any picture. All right. If in the background, that's actually the temple there in Capernaum. That's the temple that Jesus has spoken at and has taught at. And all around are some of the... the the remains of the houses. Go ahead and go to the next picture. Um, And then this is a picture where you can kind of see from the top, you can see how the houses are set next to each other and the roads are next to, uh, very pretty small overall. And go ahead and go around. Now, this right here would be considered the house in which that first church met because this was Peter's mother-in-law's house. Now, again, this is tradition, so I don't know how true it is, but that's what they say. This was the house that they actually met in, and this is where Peter's mother-in-law was at. So more than likely, this would be somewhere in the same area that Jesus and now Peter are having this next conversation. So he comes to Jesus. He says, hey, Jesus, I was walking about town, and I heard them argue about this, and they said something about our, our taxes due. Time out. How many of you have done your taxes? Good job. How many of you have to say, no way? Uh, you don't have to raise your hand on that one. All right, tax time. We hate it. Everybody hates it. It's, it's something that's been hated for years, okay? Every generation has hated it. Every country hates it. It's tax time. Hey, Jesus, your taxes are due. What are you going to do about it? I told these guys you're going to pay it. I hope that's true because that would get us in a lot of trouble. So here we go. And, and Jesus now has this conversation. He says, what do you think, Simon. From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? Do they take the tax from their sons and their family, or do they take tax from strangers? That's a great question, isn't it? In the system of emperors, in the system of kings, yes, taxes would go out to all the country, and it would sustain the king's family. It would sustain his table. It would sustain his household. So all the money would come from the strangers, come back to the king. Would a king ever tax his family? It would be pointless because if he taxed his own son, if he taxed his wife, if he taxed his daughter, if he taxed somebody in his family, then there would be the expectation, hey, wait a minute, 
That's my money anyway. It came into the treasury. So it wouldn't even make sense. So Peter answers correctly. Hey, Jesus, kings, nah, they, they wouldn't tax their family. Now Jesus makes a profound statement. He says, good job. And when the, he said from others, Jesus said, then the sons are free. Now, if we would stop right there, this would be fun. We could almost have a, a very clear presentation from Jesus saying, we don't have to pay taxes. Wouldn't that be awesome? That would, that would be really fun. I wish Jesus would have stopped there. Say, ah, we don't have to. And you could almost make it all the way to, you don't have to ever give your money to church, too. You could probably just take, I mean, just, you don't have to give taxes. You don't have to pay to church. Man, this is a great text, right? I know, I'm hurting somebody right here. Just be careful. So here we are. Jesus says, and the sons are free. What is he talking about? Where, where is he going with this? What is he setting up? Now, why? I, I, this is amazing to me. Because let's just come back to who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. What would the temple tax be for? It'd be for the temple, the place of worship, the place of meeting God, right? Now, here's, here's how it plays out. Throughout the Old Testament and even until this point, if you were going to meet with God, if you wanted to meet with God, where would you go? Would you go to your house? No, you would go where? Not just to the temple, but you had to go all the way to where? Jerusalem. Because that's where God's spirit, God's presence resigned. Matter of fact, when Solomon built the temple and he made the prayer, God's presence came down from the glory and actually filled the temple. His presence was there. Now watch. Jesus says, guys, something's radically about to shift. The sons are free. I'm about to set you free from government. I'm about to set you free from religious. I'm about to set everybody free because here's what's going to happen. In just a few short weeks, in just a few short months, I'm going to the cross. I just predicted it. I just told you about it. And when I get to the cross, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to radically shift where your allegiance is no more to a country. Now, let me just help stop real quick. I am born and bred Texan. Texan all my life. I mean, Texas till I die, I'm Texas. I'm patriotic on top of that. I am USA. I mean, go USA, whatever. I am, I am diehard American citizen. Redneck, you might want to call it some of that too. There might be some of that falling through the bone. I don't know. But it, it, when we hear the national anthem, even when I'm in my house, a lot of times I'll stand. And we were standing the other day when we heard the national just Very patriotic. I don't like people talking negative about my president, although he has a lot of things we could talk about. Understand, listen, it, I'm proud to be where I'm at. And whatever country you're from, you should be proud of your origin. You should be proud of what God has done because... God blessed you with that. All right? Now watch. Jesus is about to radically shift, and he says, it's not just about your country anymore. I'm going to set you free. And I'm going to set you so free. Matter of fact, I'm going to set you free from religion. This is beautiful. He says, guys, you used to go to the temple, and the temple was the only place in which the presence of God resided. And I'm about to shift it. And I'm about to tear it down. Because no longer is it going to be about the temple anymore. You see, what Jesus does on the cross and after his resurrection, what he does is this. He completely removes the necessity of a building. Because what has happened now is this, that we don't have to go to the temple. We actually are the temple. Paul teaches us that it's our bodies that are now the temple, that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. So here's what could happen. 
You can actually have a tornado come and wipe out this building. And guess what? We could still meet outside together and we still have church. We can still meet with God. Watch this. God's presence is still there. I can go in my quiet time and in my space and I can meet with God on my own because I'm meeting with God here. Are you following this? I don't have to go. Jesus does something else. In the Jewish system, they would have to go, and when they went to the temple, in order to come to God's presence, they had to bring what? A sacrifice. An animal sacrifice. A blood sacrifice. And in just a few short weeks, what Jesus is going to do, he's going to completely turn the tables upside down on the religious system. He said, I'm going to set you free. No longer are you going to have to bring a a, a sacrifice. I will be the one and only true sacrifice. You don't have to come anymore with a sacrifice because Jesus has going, is going to bring it. He has brought it on the cross. One more step. You ready? He's going to set us free of this religious system because Jesus becomes our high priest. Now watch. This is beautiful. Before, they, they wanted to get into God's presence. They had to go to the temple. You had to travel to Jerusalem. Then you had to bring an animal sacrifice, and then you had to go to the high priest, and the high priest would pray for you. Right? Jesus becomes our high priest from the cross and his resurrection. He becomes our high priest. Listen, that allows me to boldly come into the presence of God, not based on what I've done, but based on who Jesus is, and he is now my high priest, ever interceding on my behalf before the presence of God. It sets us free. It sets us free. And Jesus says, guys, I'm going to set you free. No longer is it the government. No longer is is it about the religious system. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to do something so radical, and I'm turning it upside down. Watch out. Now, he continues on. Now, Jesus says something I wish he wouldn't have said. He said, okay, however, not to give an offense to them. Jesus, really? Really? So that means I have to actually obey the laws of the land I live in? Yes. Jesus says, okay, in order to continue to further the kingdom, in order to further my cause, you have to pay the tax. Seriously? You have to pay it? Yes, you have to pay it. Okay, so here's what he does. He says, Peter, I want you to go walk outside of the house, and I want you to go over to the sea, and I want you to cast a hook into the sea. Now, here's where I love this story. Go to, go to the picture, if you would, again, of where you can see the sea in the background. Okay, so Peter comes out of the, the house, and he goes to the sea. Now, remember the Sea of Galilee is several miles wide, several miles long. And he says, okay, Peter, I want you to go fishing. Now, men, when you have problems, Jesus commands you to go fishing. That's what I read, right? Did you see that? When you have problems, go fishing. That's, that's an answer. Man, thank you, Jesus. Okay, I might have added that in, but either way, it's still there, right, somewhat? <laughs> okay, so he says, go fishing, Peter. Peter's like, yes, I got to go fishing instead of paying taxes. Yes. So he says, go fishing, and here's what's going to happen. When you cast your hook into the sea, you're going to catch a fish. How many of you have gone fishing and never caught anything? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass you. Man, you've gone fishing, and maybe you sit out there all day, and you're just hum dum and you just sit out there, and you just, man, there's just nothing going on, and you're just, you just keep casting, keep casting, and nothing happens, and you're saying, okay, I'm going to cast my net on the other side of the boat, and you're doing everything that Jesus said, and you're still not catching anything. <sighs> but Jesus says, go to the sea, and the sea is huge. 
And he says, I want you to cast a net in. Now, we can assume that Peter, or cast a hook in. We can assume that Peter puts bait on it, but it doesn't say he put bait on the hook. He just said, cast the hook out there. So he casts the hook out, and he's going to catch a fish. Now, the fish that uh, is called Peter's fish now in um, Israel is called tilapia. How many of you like tilapia? Okay, so we're on the Sea of Galilee, and uh, right after we got off the Sea of Galilee, we went over and we got to eat. They had grilled out fish for us and tilapia. Here it is. Now, they had the, the scales on it. Had the eyeballs in it. Have you ever eaten a fish with eyeballs staring at you? Yeah? It's kind of weird. You know, you just pop out the eyeball, stick it in your mouth. No, I'm just kidding. It's gross. It's just weird. And so you're sitting there going, man, really, I'm supposed to eat this with the eyes looking at me? You know, it's just kind of weird. So it's a great fish. It's a great fish. Love the flavor, all of it. Peter catches this fish. And it opens it up. And there's going to be money in it. Now, Peter's thinking all along, I'm going to go catch a fish. Jesus, where on the shore do you want me to cast my hook? Think about this. Listen, you ready? Think about what it took to make this happen. So, before all of these events took place, somebody had to drop money into the Sea of Galilee. Some kid maybe was walking by and saying, hey, Dad, watch, can you have money and throwing money in the water? Or, or some fisherman was out on his, uh, on his boat, and he's pulling the net in and accidentally knocks over money into the lake, right? You're going, doggone it, seriously? And, and you're going, come on. Somehow money falls into the water, right? And then you have to actually command the fish ahead of time to be swimming by, Right? To actually say, mmm, that silver money looks good enough to eat. And you have to command the fish to eat the money. And then you have to command the fish to go wherever Peter goes. Are you following this? And so Peter has to go out and, I mean, cast your net or cast your hook. So where do I cast it? Do I cast it to the right? Do I cast it to the left? Do I cast it straight out? Well, is this a good spot? Maybe fish are over there. You know fish, and you always have to move from place to place until you find where the fish are at, right? And Jesus says, you're going to cast it, and the first fish you catch is going to have the money. He pulls up the fish, and there's enough to pay for the tax, not only of Jesus, but there's enough to pay the temple tax for Peter as well. That is an amazing story. It is an amazing event where in this moment, Jesus says, I don't have to pay it, I'm free. Matter of fact, I'm going to set you free. Because he didn't say just the son is free. He says, sons. Do you see the plural? The sons are free. So he adds not just Jesus. He says, we're free. We don't have to abide by the government. And on top of that, we don't have to abide by the religious rules. But on top of that, we're going to go ahead and do it because we're not going to cause a problem. And then he says, I've already provided for it. That is an amazing, an amazing moment. So Peter goes out, he does it, he gets the money, and he goes and pays the tax. So here, let me wrap up by giving you three things. These three things, I think, are extremely helpful for us to maybe take away for God to help begin to work and move in our lives as far as increasing our faith. Ready? Number one. I need to live in the freedom of the cross. Because I've trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I am no longer bound, I am no longer bound by either the government 
I'm no longer bound by my sin nature, and I'm no longer bound by what religion tells me to do. I love this. I love that it sets me free. It sets me free where I don't have to go to any building to worship God. Now, is there a benefit to gathering with other believers? There is, isn't there? There's a celebration that happens that it strengthens and encourages our faith, and we've talked about that before. But my friends, you have access to the throne of God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I can go to the cross over and over again. Now watch, next, number two. I need to make my allegiance first to God and His kingdom. When we begin to play this out, my allegiance is first to God and His kingdom. It's greater than any state in which I live in. It's greater than any nation in which I live in. And it's greater than any religious sect that I belong to. This past week, I listened in the news, and I, I, I was just amazed. The Presbyterian Church, the USA Church, they actually announced that they were going to um, make it legal in their churches to marry, perform marriages of homosexuality. I'm sitting there going, wow, that's amazing the church is making these statements. Then you listen to our government, and you listen to what's going on. And here we go. I'm going to be loyal, and I'm going to be... But here, at the end of the day, I'm called to be loyal first to Jesus and to his word. My allegiance is first there. So when the government begins to make plans and when the government does something that does not align up with Scripture, then my first allegiance as Paul, when they said, they told Paul to quit preaching in the name of Jesus, he says, my first, well, you can do whatever you want. My first allegiance is to continue to preach God, to preach Jesus. Your allegiance is first there. Let me help. You ready? I know... We live in a day and age in which we talk about all kinds of denominations and different things. But our first allegiance is not to be Baptist. Our first allegiance is to Jesus Christ. That makes sense? That is our first priority. No matter what else happens, our first allegiance is Jesus Christ. Next, the last one is this. I need my faith to grow, and the way in which my faith grows is by remembering God can provide for my needs. God can provide for my needs. I need to hear this over and over again. Here's why I need to hear it. Because I believe it in this moment. And then I walk out and all hell breaks loose in my life. And I quickly forget. I need to hear over and over again. Listen. God knows your, God knows your problems. God knows what you have need of. Listen. Listen, listen, listen. And he's already made provisions ahead of time for it. All you simply have to do is start talking to him about it and trust him. And this is where your faith comes in. To have faith enough to believe that he's already answered what you have and he already has supplied what you have need of. Even when you don't understand it, even when you don't see it, your God is big enough to have already put in place the means and the mechanism in which to provide for the very thing you have need of. That is an amazing God. If you could get to that place when you see, understand, God, 
here's what I'm dealing with, here's what I'm struggling with, here's what's happening in my marriage, here's what's happening in my, my, my finances, here's what's happening at my job, here's what I need, I need this to actually work out. God, look at all the taxes that I owe, I have no idea how I'm going to pay. When you begin to lay it out and you say, God, this is what I need, and if you could actually move to the place where you're saying, God, I, here's what I need, and I have no idea where it's going to come from, I have no idea how you're going to answer, but God, by faith, I believe you have an answer already. Talking about faith, instead of being so stressed out where you can't sleep at night, being so stressed out that you're so worried, to be able to claim, God, you have an answer, and I'm going to simply trust you to provide. And it's not going to come from the government, it's not going to come from what my religious sex, it's not coming from anything else. I'm trusting you. Oh God, help us to get to that place, to have faith, to believe when we can't see. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, your goodness, and your grace. I pray that you would increase our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.